Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano. My guest this week is Adam Clark. Adam, how are you doing? I am very good. Well, thank you so much for doing this. You came highly recommended from a mutual friend, Andrew Booth. So tell me a little bit about how you know Andrew and how you would describe Andrew to people that doesn't don't know him. Oh, man. Andrew Booth is a living legend. Yeah. Uh, and I would describe <laughs> him as a renaissance man. Somebody that, like, the more that you uncover, oh, wait, you've done that? Or, like, you're, yeah. you're he's from Wales. Like, he's... He's the coolest sounding guy you're going to meet, but then also he's an incredible flautist. Like he yep. plays the flute. Yep. He produces all his own music and he's got several albums that are all very good. Yes. Uh, and that's actually my first connection point with Andrew is through music. We yep. played music together at the same church 14 years ago. Okay. And uh, then a few years after that, um, I ended up working f- with him. Uh, before he became VP of marketing at, at MedPro. Okay. I was working with him in the marketing department at Medical Protective for a few years. And that's when we were probably the closest because we saw each other every day, but we've been friends ever since. Yeah. Well, a great guy. Also recently a a half Ironman triathlete right. exactly. in addition to all the other stuff. Right. And maybe most notably, a former guest on this podcast. So <laughs> he's got that, he's I, got I that going said, for It's him. that yeah. first and then the rest of the stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, as much as we love Andrew, we are not here to talk only about Andrew. We all want to hear a little bit about you, Adam. So I'll start by asking the question that I always begin with. I'd like to hear about your career path and take me back to the time when you first started thinking about, I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do professionally at some point. Mm. What were you thinking about and where did that take you? And then did you divert from that path? Did you stay on it? What did that look like for you? So it's a bit of a long and winding road. Yeah. And so you know, I don't know how much this will get edited, but I'll give you what you asked for. And then <laughs> okay. if it's too long. So I was probably a junior in college yeah. studying video production at Ball State University. Uh-huh. And I was a teaching assistant for a professor named Jim Shasky, mm-hmm. Emmy Award winner, okay. uh, phenomenal guy, but wild personality. Mm-hmm. And people were really scared of him. He was kind of an erratic guy to be around. However, I got close in proximity to him and I learned his love for video and teaching video. And then he actually... Uh, helped me to facilitate teaching a few classes of his okay. at Ball State, and I actually began to love teaching. So oh, I went wow. there to okay. do video production. Yeah, but I fell in love with uh, the relational part of that, mm-hmm. both conducting interviews from behind the camera, and then yeah. also teaching other students how to do video. Yeah. So when I got done, I actually ended up teaching high school uh, video production classes at a high school down in Indianapolis. But that put me way more on the technical side than the teaching side. Sure. I was doing a lot of technical work for okay. the school and it just wasn't me long term. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of sparked like, what do I actually care about within this field? And mm-hmm. it was storytelling mm-hmm. and it was relating with people and even large groups of people, but it was communicating ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that led me to getting my master's degree in public relations. Okay. And from there moved back to Fort Wayne Okay. and, um, Got a job at Medical Protective yep. in customer service okay. following my following my master's degree. So I'm sitting there with a master's degree in PR, yeah. wanting so badly to do marketing. And I'm talking to doctors yeah. who are facing malpractice oh, claims. Sure. And sure. I'm a customer service person. And I'm feeling like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, I had a somewhat you know co- collegial relationship with the VP of marketing there, yep. Tim Smith at mm-hmm. the time. And I would pay attention to everything they were doing in marketing. Mm-hmm. If I saw an ad go out, if I saw a placement online, I would look and say, hey, Tim, do you have a few minutes? I've got thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. And I would just start pitching in my thoughts sure. where they wouldn't, were unsolicited. Yeah. You know? Just started <laughs> yeah. pitching in my sure. ideas or thoughts on, here's what I'm seeing from your marketing team. What do you think about this? And then a job in their marketing department opened up and I had been on the phone with their you know customers for a year. And I went in and I, uh, I found, uh, Tim told me I was, 
in the running with one other person. It was the final two. Mm-hmm. And the person I was up against had 17 years of experience, oh, wow. was you know yeah. well-versed in all things marketing. And he said, why would we choose you and <laughs> yeah. not her? And I said, there is absolutely no reason that yeah. you would choose me other than she hasn't been on the phone mm-hmm. with your customers mm-hmm. for the last year. Yeah. She hasn't been paying attention to your marketing for the last two years, sure. trying to refine messages and be curious about how it could be even better. Yeah. I have. Yeah. And so if that's what you want, yeah. I can do that, sure. but I can't replicate 17 oh, sure. years of experience. Sure. And that, um, you know, that ended up, I ended up getting that job and um, that was the beginning of where I am now, which is sort of marketing job after marketing job within Medical Protective and now Brotherhood Mutual. Sure. So, and it also speaks to the importance of relationships. You had the relationship, you had worked with Tim. Yeah. So there was trust there, at least mm-hmm. ideally there was. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that will serve you better than more experience. It's great right. when you have both, but the relationship usually wins in right. that case. Yeah. Right. And, it's, and it kind of speaks to double down on the things you can deliver on yeah. and don't try to fake experience. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I was kind of put yeah. in a position where I could have said, oh, I've had internships at these software companies while I was in college, but that's not going to, sure. that's not going to compete with 17 years yeah. worth of experience. Yeah. But I can say I've been talking to your customers for a year. That's yeah. an incredible wealth of sure. knowledge sure. for and, what it's worth. And something that's hard for someone else to duplicate. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So you're a really interesting example of something that I think is underappreciated in Northeast Indiana, and that's the large number of insurance entities that are here. Yes. There's MedPro, there's Brotherhood, there's there's others in that mix. So tell me a little bit about Brotherhood. What does the organization do? I, I think people recognize it full well because right. of where it's located, and mm-hmm. you see it every time you're driving up 69. But what, what does Brotherhood do and what is your experience with the insurance industry locally? And, and, and why is that important for Northeast Indiana? I know that's like three questions in one, so start wherever you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the personal side, this isn't even what you asked, but the sixth grade version of Adam would be like puking. <laughs> you ended up in insurance. We're not in the NBA. Like yeah. I've, I'm like a career insurance yeah. marketing guy now. Yeah, sure. And I didn't even intend to do that, mm-hmm. but it's largely because of these awesome companies yeah. that are located right here in my backyard. Yeah. So I started at Medical protective had no idea where there was a nationally headquartered med mal uh, company here in town Mm -hmm. and it's amazing it's a Mm -hmm. really sophisticated organization loved my time there grew and learned a ton now was it a berkshire hathaway company when you were there yeah it was and so that was another experience too of this isn't just a large organization but it's a part of one of the most sophisticated group of organizations Mm -hmm. out there yep so that was all really great education for me as fresh out of my master's program to learn those things and then moving over to Brotherhood Mutual, these are two of the most reputable organizations uh, at that at that employee count sure. in in the city, which was I'm, I feel so fortunate. Yeah. But then from the insurance side, like what I've learned about that is, um, it's a really <laughs> this is going to sound like I'm uh, not being sincere. It's a really fun mm-hmm. and really cool industry. Mm-hmm. I think I've heard of it talked about as like that necessary evil. Yeah. We just need insurance. Sure. But it's actually a very cool thing to know a lot about and to understand why doing it right meets people's needs sure. and takes care of them in their greatest, you know, worst case scenario or their greatest time of need. So what's something that might surprise someone, someone who thinks of insurance as kind of stodgy and, you know, not, not all that exciting. What have you found that, that sort of debunks that? Well, this is going to be an answer that's specific to Brotherhood Mutual, yeah. but what I've learned is so Brotherhood Mutual is an entity that that serves only churches and related mm-hmm. ministries. Mm-hmm. And the unique thing about that is anybody can fix a roof, 
Mm-hmm. Anybody can fix a busted pipe. But when a company like Brotherhood dives deep into its niche, it finds and creates products around its customer base that are irreplaceable by any other commercial insurer. Mm-hmm. So State Farm couldn't come through and say, I understand that volunteers run most of your ministry operations mm-hmm. and not employees. Yeah. They only stand they only understand commercial businesses. Sure. And so that's one thing that, you know, um, it's not a one size fits all thing. And as a consumer of insurance, it sort of feels like I could go to Geico and get just about, you know, whatever everybody's offering yeah. from just going online and getting a quote. Okay. And it's not like that. There's a lot of insurers that like Brotherhood are almost like boutiques. Mm-hmm. They've curated an experience around an audience group mm-hmm. that I think is really important for especially the customers of Brotherhood to understand that difference. Sure. So I, in my thorough research that I do for this podcast, which consists of about five minutes on your LinkedIn <laughs> profile and your Instagram profile, I saw a piece of content. It was something with the effect of, and this was targeted at your audience, something like, you are not a shoe store. Yes. Does that ring a bell? That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's it's that depth of knowledge and that you know, commitment to, we're only going to do this. We're going to focus on what you do so we can be of greater service to your, your ministry, to your church. Yes. So, um, tell me a little bit about how your team is structured Mm -hmm. at Brotherhood, who works alongside you and how do you all, uh, contribute to the work? Yeah. Well, that, that your ministry is not a shoe store. That's a piece that actually I created mm-hmm. uh, or I did the scripting for yeah. somebody else animated it, but it, it talks about exactly what we were just talking mm-hmm. about, how any commercial insurer will treat you as a commercial business unless they understand your ministry operations mm-hmm. like Brotherhood does. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really, it's a succinct way of saying what I've been trying yeah. to say. So it's interesting that you called that out. Yeah. Um, but my team. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at Brotherhood Mutual, I am the senior manager of a team called Agency Marketing mm-hmm. Services. And like many insurers, we don't sell anything out of the building in Fort Wayne. Mm -hmm. We sell everything through our distributed agency force all across the country. Mm -hmm. So my team's job is to take what comes from our corporate marketing team Mm -hmm. and deliver it to our agencies and train them on it, help them get proficient. And here's what we're trying to do. Here's the problem we're trying to solve. And then we're also the intake valve from that same group. Mm -hmm. So the agencies say, hey, I tried this. We use that brochure. We tried that microsite. We use this piece. Here's what it did. Here's what it didn't do. Could you make something that did something more like this? Mm -hmm. And then we take that back to the corporate team. So we're a little bit like a group of account executives in yep. that way, okay. where, where, where our clients are the agencies yep. and our, our production team is the corporate team, okay. it, to, to kind of put it in an agency world. Yeah, so you're the conduit. You're the voice of the you're voice of corporate to the agents and the voice of the agent back to corporate. Absolutely. So in terms of, uh, I want to revisit something. So you start out with a strong video focus. Mm-hmm. How much of your work now is is in the video world? Seems like it's gotten more broad, but do you still bring that in? And if so, how? I do still bring it in. Mm-hmm. I bring it in right now, mostly in the service of our agencies. Mm-hmm. So our team does creative work on behalf of all of those agencies individually, as well as relays to them what's coming from Brotherhood Mutual corporately. Mm-hmm. And so we'll go around the country and we'll do these agency-specific videos. We've got a couple of really proficient mm-hmm. producers on our team. Yep. But then I have this uh, this background, this thing in my hip pocket sure. where I'm able to say, hey, what if we did this yeah. with shot selection or or uh, um, you know focus length variation or something like that? And they're like, whoa, how do you know? I'm like, that's... <laughs> yeah. I, that's what I thought I'd be doing. Sure, you know? So sure. it's, it occupies a very small percentage of my, my personal time, but it is, 
so good to have that in my background, to be able to speak that language and understand the importance of doing video well when it comes to telling a brand story sure. overall. So, so how much of your time is spent managing and leading a team and how much time, if any, are you spending actually doing the work hands-on? Um, it's almost, I would say, 90-10 at this point. Mm -hmm. So as, as the senior manager of the team, I'm actually managing a group of three managers who manage the, mm -hmm. um, you know, account execs sure. and graphic design yeah. and outbound calling and, and all of the, the, the frontline workers who are really out, outstanding. I have an mm -hmm. outstanding team, but it puts me in a position where a lot of my time is relational, mm -hmm. both with the agencies outside of the building yeah. and then also with my team to make sure they're tooled up to do what they need to do. Sure. And, and how long ago did you make that switch? When did it become 90-10 and when were you doing less of the, the, the detail work that you used to do in the past? Yeah. So really when it, the, this most recent like I think it's maybe three and a half years mm -hmm. ago when I became the senior manager of the team versus I was previously the manager of agency marketing services working just with that part of the team that was doing strategic uh, um, planning for the coming mm -hmm. year. Yeah. They were doing graphic design, web design, all of those things. And I was involved in all of those kind of conversations and decisions. Now I'm one step removed going, hey, globally, here's what we think we're going to yep. do. And then the teams execute on that. So it's probably three and a half years ago. And that's a pretty big switch. It I is. Mean, it's, it takes a philosophical change in how you approach work. I mean, I, I, I think some of it was just hanging around long enough and getting old. But there came a time when I had to say, you know, I'd rather spend my time I'm still going to develop myself, but I'd rather spend my time developing my team yep. and helping block and tackle for them mm -hmm. and enabling them to do better work because I've probably hit my ceiling <laughs> in terms of skills <laughs> um, and they haven't. And, you know, I, I'm fortunate to work with a super smart group of folks, um, but it was it was at, at the same time, it was really liberating for me because I was like, okay, they've got this. I can help them do even better. But it was also like, oh, I've made a change here mm -hmm. and, and I have to give up some control was yes. it has it been like that for you has absolutely there been any difficulty in it there's been difficulty in it because if i was to put myself in the way i could put my eyes and my hands on everything we yeah. do mm -hmm. but it would slow us down massively and it would make everyone feel less empowered to just yep. do their job really well mm -hmm. and so i had to learn uh hopefully quickly and maybe i'm still learning a lot of these things in real time but i've learned that the best thing i can be good at is leading and not mm -hmm. graphic design or copywriting yeah. or editing. Like the best thing I can do is unlock the potential in the people around me. And that actually creates better work that happens faster, uh, that, that is more accurate. Like all those things happen if everyone around me is empowered yeah. and lifted up to do their job. And it's interesting, you look back at the sort of backstory I shared earlier, getting back to the teaching, mm -hmm. it's like none of that experience is wasted. Mm -hmm. The the excitement in seeing someone learn something new yeah. or feel like they own it now, it's theirs, they know it, yeah. and I can step out of the way. That's still happening. Yeah. It's just happening in a very sure. different format. So it's really fun to see that no experience has been wasted, but to reconnect with some of those elements that I really loved about teaching, but didn't feel like I was in the right space. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just helped crystallize something in my head because, you know, I do three things professionally and one of them is I teach. Um, and I, I've always told people it just all works together and mm. I sometimes don't understand why that is, but I think it's because 
if you have any aspirations in leadership, you're sort of doing that in the classroom, mm-hmm. and now you're translating that to day-to-day projects, but it's still teaching. It's just sharing your perspective, not claiming to be the smartest person in the room on any topic, but yeah. saying, hey, but on this road, here's how I would handle it. Now, you do better than that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and just making celebration a core part of that yeah. to let people know, if, if you're doing well, you're always going to hear it from me in mm-hmm. spades. Like, I'm going to really really yeah. come with uh, enthusiasm about how well you're doing. So so let's flip that for a second. Yeah. I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball. <laughs> so if you're in a leadership position like the one you're in, there are times when you're going to have to give constructive criticism, yeah. right? It's, it's great when you can authentically cheer on your team and say you're doing great and do that publicly and make sure everybody knows how well they're doing. What about the other side of it? How do you handle it when someone isn't doing what they need to do when there's performance issues, whether it's one time or if they're more persistent? Yeah. Such a good question. Because it's, Some of it, this is my sneaky way of getting free advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really hope it's going to be worth what you paid for. Okay, good. To be honest. Good. Uh, but but the, the truth is, you know, I don't want to give some answer that makes it feel like it's really clean because mm-hmm. this stuff is not clean. Yeah. Leadership is not clean. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. And I will not do it perfectly. So mm-hmm. it's going to sound like I've got a, sure. a good answer sure. here, but just know that there's a person behind this answer and yeah. I've had a lot of mistakes that sure. I've made along the way. That being said, if we have agreed upon shared goals together as a team. And Mm -hmm. even if I know the wants and desires of the person that I'm talking to, I appeal to those things as the corrective measure. Mm -hmm. I know that you want this out of your role here at Brotherhood. I know that we want this out of our time together as a team. And the work that you're doing right now isn't getting us there. Mm -hmm. And, And here are some objective observations on that. Like, here's how I can prove to you that that's true. And most of the time I don't need to do that. Usually people know, mm-hmm. and they're just waiting on yeah. someone to say, sure, this is what's happening. Help me get back to what I know I want out of this job. For sure. And yeah. so I, I don't usually have to do a lot of fighting on that, especially when I'm mm-hmm. appealing to the aspirational, optimistic, positive things we've already agreed on. Sure. If I'm sure. saying, hey, I know this is what we want out of this. I know this is what you want out of this. How do we get back to that? Because if we don't, it's going to get way harder than this. Yeah, for sure. Well, and if you get to the annual review and there's any surprises, shame on everyone, right? A billion percent yeah. agree. <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 yeah. the, two, the biweekly one-on-ones are crucial to mm-hmm. me. It saves us so much pain at the annual review. At the annual yeah. review, it's essentially like a long version of our bi-weekly one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Just say, hey, I know we've talked about this. Here's some things that over the course of the next year, we're going to be talking more yeah. and more about. Well, and it moves the review from rear view mirror to windshield. It's <laughs> like, we're not going to rehash stuff Absolutely. that happened. We're going to talk about how do we get better. And when I say we, I mean we. Yeah. How can I help you? How can I help you do your job better? And what can I do to support you so you can learn and grow and do all those things? That's exactly right. So, Talk a little bit, if you don't mind, Adam, about some of the things you're working on right now. What are the big rocks that you're trying to move, things that are keeping you up at night, getting you excited, maybe a combination of all those things? And obviously, only share what you're comfortable sharing, but what are some of the projects on your plate right now? Yeah. I feel so thankful that I've come to Brotherhood at the time that I have and the people around me have. We're a 105-year-old company, Mm -hmm. and right now we are doing a brand architecture study and a brand relaunch for a couple of our uh, internal brands. Our main brand, Brotherhood Mutual, is going to stay the same, Mm -hmm. but we're working on how do all of our entities fit together? Because over 100 years, you start to learn the church needs way more than just insurance. They need all kinds of other things. How do we make Mm -hmm. that thing fit together so that the same consumer group, churches and related ministries, understand that we're not trying to re-educate them 
on a the brand promise that's the same across a bunch of different product categories. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, things can get kind of unwieldy when you grow one product at a yeah. time. Yeah. And so right now we're taking stock of how we've grown all the different products that we're offering and how our independent agents relate into that. And we're doing a brand architecture study that's going to help shape really the next foreseeable future, mm-hmm. decade, two decades of how this company is going to grow from here long into the future and a brand structure that supports the business strategy. And, and I'm getting a, you know, to, to sit at the table for those yeah. conversations that is personally thrilling, but it's also like, man, I intend to be at brotherhood for a really long sure. time. Sure. So getting the chance to see the things we're talking about right now mm-hmm. play out for a long time to come is really exciting. So, so let's talk about what that looks like, yeah. because obviously you're doing work that hopefully is going to last for, you know, decades and it's not going to happen overnight. So what's your timeline? Like, how do you, how do you figure out where to start with that work? How do you build a plan for that work and how much time over time do you devote to that work? So you're, you're going to understand this more than most in the agency world. It is such a luxury as a company to be able to depend on the expertise of an outside agency when it comes to the accountability of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're able to enter into a project with yeah. an outside group and say, here's what we want to get done. And they say, here's the timeline for getting yeah. that done. And everyone us and them, we all feel accountable to that. Yeah. So really, we are appealing to an outside group, mm-hmm. and yep. uh, and they're doing a phenomenal job of, yep. of helping us, you know, kind of see our way through this. And because of that, we have a really structured timeline on the assessment itself mm-hmm. and where that's going to go. And then from there, that's when the blocking and tackling of yeah. what we do with the results of their work is going to be the operative thing over the course of particularly the next year as we have to get internal stakeholders involved. Um, and by that, I mean Brotherhood Mutual employees and our independent agents, and then working concentric circles outward from there. Mm-hmm. Who needs to know about this first? Who needs to buy into it most? And how does that then influence the next concentric circle and outward? Yeah, well, it's one of the things that we say to our clients all the time is, you know, there's projects you're going to give us that you could probably do in-house and do them well, but we're going to be your personal trainer for this product. We're going to make you do things maybe that you don't want to do, but they're going to make it better. We're going to provide, you know, the the outside pressure, positive pressure to get it done more quickly. And the flip side of that is sometimes the projects we do for ourselves (laughs) are the ones that don't get done on time because that's easy to push off. So maybe we need some outside help to move those forward. But yeah, we all need that. We need that outside. I think the outside perspective is important, but I think more than anything else, just a project manager who can prompt you when it's time to work on something so that you don't get really lost in the details. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, and it's and it's easy to get lost in the details no matter the size of your organization. Yeah. But when you've got a 600 employee organization that's 100 years old, mm-hmm. it is real it's a huge ship yeah. to turn, you know, in a short time frame. It's so good to have someone who says this is our expertise. Yep. This is all that we do. Yeah. And we're going to come and we're going to help you guys do it faster than you could on your own because you guys are accountable to yep. 600 people. Yep. And it's a 100-year-old company. It's hard for us to take a step back and That's say, right. let's be decisive. We know what we need to do. Well, it's hard to be objective about it, too. Absolutely. You need is. someone who can come in and see it a little bit more like the audience might sure. see it. So let's talk about, are you involved, I, w- I would assume, based on your role, that you have some responsi- responsibilities Excuse me, to social media. Is that correct? Uh, some. It's a little bit loose, but yes. Yeah, okay. So how do you get the audience's attention with your products in social? 
And if you want to pass on that question, feel free to pass. Well, I think it's fair to say no one has ever purchased insurance on Twitter. Yeah. Like, I think that's probably- <laughs> Or let's at least hope not. Let's hope not. <laughs> Especially <think> now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, it's a, I think it's probably fair to say it's not a space where you're going to take someone from stranger to, sure. to consumer. Yeah. However, um, it is a space, and this is what we coach our independent agents on. So that's why I say I got a loose affiliation to it because I'm not actually in there logged Mm -hmm. into profiles and doing things, but I coach a lot on this and my team does execution on this and they do a phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. But basically what we say is, who who are we trying to reach? Are we actually listening to the conversation they're interested in having before we try to guide them in whatever mm-hmm. conversation we want them to have? Mm-hmm. So, in to make, you know, make that a little bit less theoretical, there are key ministries all over the country that are large and influential in whatever space they mm-hmm. occupy. It could be a denomination, could be a geography, but they kind of hold court mm-hmm. and they dictate the conversation. They're an influencer, mm-hmm. right? And so we go and we follow them. Mm-hmm. We see what events they're putting on. We see yep. what speakers they're bringing in. We see yep. what's on their church calendar. What's their vision statement? What's their mission statement? Are we actually listening to the language that's being used or are we telling them what we think they should hear? Yeah. And so to me, it's all about flipping to listening first yeah. rather than telling people what to talk about. And that's the only way that we've, I think, seen a lot of influence on the social spaces when we enter into conversations that already exist about things that they care about that and this is the part that that churches really don't realize generally speaking every single thing they do has waiting in the wings an insurance risk Mm. or a product that can Mm. back it up and make it even better Mm -hmm. or at least free them up from the administrative burden of wondering what would happen if this doesn't go right yeah and so that's the part where we can enter in really well yeah. and aptly according to like their conversation. Say like they're bringing in this or that speaker. Do they, does that speaker carry their own liability insurance if they say something that doesn't represent the church's views? Yeah. If not, mm-hmm. is that leaving the church you know, financially vulnerable? Mm-hmm. These are not things that a church should have to think sure. about, but, sure. but we do. Yeah. Well, and there's an analogy to the work that MedPro does. You know, the through line that I see, and, and the folks at MedPro could tell this story a thousand times better than I can, but somebody explained it to me that what we really do is take care of the people who take care of patients. Right. We free them from the burden of thinking about, you know, they're, they're managing risk every day mm-hmm. as physicians, but we take away the worries associated with that or at least mitigate them yeah. so they can be more focused on what they do. And it sounds like you do the same thing. Oh, it's a very similar. Yeah. Our, our mission statement is advancing the kingdom by serving the church. Mm-hmm. And we say it another way sometimes, our mission is protecting yours. Yeah. So yeah. you've got a mission. Yep. Our mission is to protect it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So the the brand project is probably big enough to take up most of your time, but is there anything else, any other important projects that you're working on right now that that um, are, are, you know, priorities for you, things you're trying to move forward? Yeah. So it, there's the, you know, the classic business cliche of changing the engine on the plane while it's in yeah. flight. Yeah. The, the agencies that we serve still have marketing plans for 2023. Mm-hmm. They still have things that they're yep. trying to get done. They've got sales goals. Yeah. All those things still exist yep. while this huge project is yep. at work. So that's the other thing that the team has to be moving on. We're, we're having this conversation in November. So we're right in the middle of budgeting. Mm-hmm. And my team manages the marketing budgets for all of those agencies okay. that, that contract with our marketing team. Yep. So we actually say, hey, here are some events in your area. Here's some you know campaigns we think you should do to these certain denominations or these key accounts. Um, and then they kind of select 
from that menu. Here's what we want to do. Here's what we feel like we've got money for. And then we execute. We're doing that mm-hmm. in 2023. Yeah. With our current branding structure, sure. with our current everything, that's happening while this thing is going on in the background. So you've got a, a, a timeline for the new brand rollout and the the assets you're going to be prepared to 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 refine those when the new brand is ready to roll out absolutely okay yeah and the thing i've tried to keep my teams thinking is some of the work that we do will always exist mm-hmm. so fear yeah. not sure we will have to keep doing this work let's be ready for incorporating whatever is new yep into that work. Yeah. And so trying to keep our thinking like, it's not like we're hitting pause on life and waiting for this thing to get done. Yeah. We're just going to plug that in sure. to the work that we're already doing. Well, and you know, you're a hundred plus year old company. It's not like you're going to change everything. It's going to be an evolution. That's right. Not completely different, at least I would think. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, let, let's move to some quick hit questions. In terms of your career, there's there's been some consistency, at least for some of the time you've been working in the industry you've worked in. Um, but you've had the opportunity to be more on the ground. You've had the opportunity to lead others. What's one thing you've learned in all that that you think is your best career advice? If you were talking to someone, maybe one of your kids, maybe someone you know on your team about how they position themselves for success in their career, what would you say is most important? Hmm. I'm going to say three things, but it's one okay. big thing. All right. And they're, and they're sort of like character attributes. Mm-hmm. And those would be humility, curiosity, and empathy. Mm-hmm. So um, th- those have been undefeated in my career so far. Okay. If I'm humble enough to not believe that I know everything mm-hmm. and to recognize that good ideas come from everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. And if I'm curious enough to draw those ideas out of others and mm-hmm. never believe that I've got all the answers. Yeah. You know, if you get in a room full of people, uh, people have things to say, but if you're if you're the talker in the group, like I'm the talker in the group, you can really steamroll people and yeah. miss out on the great ideas sitting in the room with you. Mm-hmm. So focusing on being humble and curious, and then the empathy piece works in every venue. Mm-hmm. So I'm empathetic with my boss. I'm empathetic with the people that work for me. We're empathetic collectively with our agency force. What's this like? Gonna, what's this going to feel like for them? And then by extension, what's it going to feel like when they're talking to our customers? Mm-hmm. So that sort of collective empathy of always thinking of the customer experience, those those are small character things yeah. that happen for me individually, but they work their way out into my world in ways that professionally have served me well. All right. So I'm going to ask you, this is probably the most difficult question that I'm going to ask you. All right. How do you teach some of those things? You know, and, and I, I am someone who believes that almost anything can be taught in theory, but in practice, it's really hard to do. So, you know, if you have someone who joins your team who is really technically skilled, mm-hmm. but maybe they, they don't have as much humility as you would like them to have. I think that's about as generous as I can phrase that. <laughs> um, someone who maybe, you know, doesn't exhibit empathy. What can you do to, to help people grow in those areas? Okay, so you've asked me the toughest question, and I'm going to give you the weirdest answer. Okay, (laughs) Okay, yeah. So when I was in college, I was in an improv comedy troupe. Okay. uh, Which is not a fact that I normally share at parties, but here we are. All right, You know, (laughs) all the masses can know this now. Yeah. But I was in an improv comedy troupe. It was a great experience. Uh And a couple of the games or exercises that they would do uh, as a team – had to do with listening because in improv comedy, one of the one of the best rules to live by is you're not funny if we are not funny. Mm-hmm. If you're funny on your own, then you're running your own show and you're making the rest of us look bad. And the collective is what people are there to see. Sure. So you have to make everybody funny in order for us yeah. to be funny. So with that, listening is a core part of that. Mm-hmm. And so I've done these activities with, with my department before, uh, which are silly and I recognize yeah. that, but we do an ex- exercise where uh, 
you have to listen to the last letter of the last word that I say to you and use that letter to start your sentence. So if my sentence ends in the letter E, your sentence has to start with E, but you can't start thinking of what you're going to say before I'm done with my sentence. Huh, interesting. So you get down deep into the psyche of someone and you realize, oh, our tendency is to start checking out on what you've said Correct. and cooking up what I'm going to say long before yeah. you're done. I'm drafting my response midway through right. your answer, yeah. And instead you say, okay, I need to listen not only to every word, but to every letter of every word mm. so that my sentence doesn't start until I know yours is done and I could use that last letter to start what I'm going to say. It's just a small yeah. trick and it's something you can employ without the listener even knowing it. Yeah. I'm going to let you finish and not start my answer until I understand everything that you've said. So that's one small goofy thing. Yeah. Another thing, uh, and this actually came from a counseling experience, not improv comedy, but um, is, is this idea that questions prick the conscience where statements might harden the heart. Okay. Okay. So, so if my default mode is to uncover what I think is true by way of questions, rather than just saying it's true, mm -hmm. I'll get way better results. Hmm. We'll, we'll end up better relationally. We'll end up better. Yeah. And the collective thing that we come up with will be better if I'm asking questions to get there rather than making statements. Sure. So those are just two small tools that we've employed. Yeah. Uh, on the team to try to build those character traits into our team culture. So let's build off the, the second one. Sure. Uh, can you give me an example of how you deploy that when, when you're saying, here's something I could phrase as a statement, but instead I'm going to ask a question where I, I might end up in a better place? Right. So I know the operations of my teams pretty well yeah. to the point where I could probably come into a meeting and say, here's what you guys should be doing. Mm -hmm. And I might even be right, or I might be close to right, but they know, they know, I think mm -hmm. what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so I could come into that same scenario as the leader and say, Hey, I'm wondering what you guys are experiencing in this state yeah. with this denomination right now. Yeah. And they'll tell me most likely in some cases I'll learn something completely new and it, and it's, and I'm better for it if I start with a question, but most likely I'll hear what I already knew to be true. And then we'll come to the same conclusion as if I would have come through and said, here's what it's going to yeah. be. Yeah. But I, what I've done is I've involved everyone in a way that now we all own it together. Yeah. And I haven't just come through and said, here's what it's going to be. And so, that's kind of one example. I know that's still no, kind of that's, hypothetical. No, that, that makes total sense. But it, that's that's what I mean when I say that. Yeah. So so you're a parent, correct? I am. Okay. So it's of five. Yeah. Wow. Okay. How old? What are the ages? 13, 10, 10, 8, and four. Okay. All right. Isn't um, that the most? That's great. Yeah. That's 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 a lot. <laughs> that's all the kids you can have. Well, and it's like you know, and I've learned this the second time around because I was empty nest son in college and all of a sudden I have an eight-year-old in my life hmm. again, which is great, which is great fun. Love it. Yeah. And there are mistakes that I made <laughs> that I now can can hopefully do better. But one of the things is, you know, the, the eight-year-old in my life will ask, you know, how do you spell this word? Hmm. And I'll say with my son, I would, I would say, here's how you spell it. And now I'm saying, how do you think you spell it? Hmm. Nine times out of 10, she gets it right. Yes. But she didn't know she knew it. And I think that's very different. Not to compare you know, the people we lead with kids, but there are some analogies that your people are so used in some cases to working in places where they are responsive to leadership. It's really different to create a culture. And it takes time to encourage people where you really show them instead of telling them they have the answers and letting them get there on their own. Yeah. 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 I, I, and I, I don't think it's wrong to say that there are analogies between parenting and leading a team because 
I'm not demeaning the value of my team. I'm actually elevating their value. Like I love, I love you. Like I love yeah. my family. I'm in, I'm as invested in this yeah. as I yeah, am with that's them. That's a great point. And and it's it's really to say like I would do I would do anything yeah. to bring the best out of this group in the same way that I will go to any length to sure. make sure my kids are the best. Sure. They can be. Yeah. Yeah. So remember how I said this was the quick hit part of the show? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, this That's totally my classic fault. Classic windbag. No, that was geez. great. Well, you are you are sitting with a like, uh, a like windbag here. <laughs> um, okay. Second quick hit question. It does not have to be a quick answer. Um, what is something about your work, whether it's the company you work for, the work that you do, something that is either underappreciated and deserves to be better understood or is a myth that you want to debunk? Hmm. This is going to be somewhat potentially redundant with what I've already yeah. said, but the fact that we serve this niche industry has been my favorite part mm -hmm. of working there. Now, I will say value-wise, I came in as a lifelong churchgoer, mm -hmm. someone who understands that space really well. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I, work, I volunteer with my church as the worship pastor mm -hmm. uh, on the side. And so all of the sort of ethos makes perfect sense to me. I can see where for someone that's like a waking nightmare, you yeah, know, like that sure. I, they wouldn't want to be, but for me, that's awesome. Yeah. And being able to overlap that purpose of work with the mission that they're trying to accomplish has been really life-giving for yeah. me. And the thing I would say to maybe debunk, uh, and I don't even know if people think this, but the leadership of that company is the reason I believe that that mission mm -hmm. is true. Yeah. Whenever our, our CEO, Mark Robison, stands up and talks about his heart for the church and his heart for how what we do serves them well, I, I believe it. Like yeah. I'm all in sure. to follow him into that because I really think he um, he is sold out to that mission. So that's the thing I, I think can be really predictable in corporate cultures is you think the CEO has no idea, the, the senior leader has no idea what's going on in the trenches and they don't, they're as removed from it as possible. I really feel like he understands yep. that and cares about making it good for everybody so that they can be freed up to serve the church well. Yeah, well, and it, it certainly adds to that person's credibility. I mean, no doubt. You know, people are always looking at, it's one of, the, one of the hard parts of leadership is you get more scrutiny and people are, people are always asking themselves, is this per does this person really believe what they are saying? Yeah, and it's constant. It's you never get a break from that. Right, and it works a lot better when they think you do believe. <laughs> no doubt <laughs> what you're saying. All right, last quick hit question: What is a tool, uh, a tip, a trick, a hack, whatever you want to call it, something you use in your work that you think deserves to be better known? Now we've had people say Google, so it doesn't have to be profound. We've had people talk about apps and technology can be anything in between. Cool. The thing that came to mind uh, when you sent me that question is actually a tool that um, I got, I, I learned about when I was in my master's program. So this is 13 mm -hmm. years. It's not novel. Yeah. And there's probably listeners who are like, yeah, man, you're last to the party on this. But uh, it's a tool called the Brand Asset Valuator, which if you Google that phrase, there's an agency called Young and Rubicam mm -hmm. who actually originally developed this. Yeah. And, it, and it's essentially four questions that to me are always relevant. Huh. They're, they're, they work every time because they uncover those core distinctives and, 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 uh, and you know, ideas that make a brand a brand. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just that never failed to come back to those mm -hmm. when there's confusion around what should we do next? What's yeah. most important? Here are the four questions. How are you different? Mm -hmm. How is that difference relevant to the people who you want to consume your product or be aware of your organization? Yep. How are you building knowledge? Mm-hmm. 
and how is that knowledge esteemed? Okay. Okay. So those four questions, that's, they use those four questions to determine the actual dollar value huh. of a brand. Interesting. And, and it's really fascinating. You could go, if you Google brand asset value, they have their brand asset value for, you know, companies that we all know, Apple, Google, that kind of thing. Uh, but you can actually have them do an assessment of, of your company oh, wow. as well. But those four questions, they work every time. And what they do for me in my job, because I work with a lot of people who aren't marketers by profession. Yep. They are professional salespeople. Mm-hmm. What they don't realize is they're doing marketing every single time they open their mouth. Yeah. And if I can help them codify that understanding into when I'm talking, how am I establishing how I'm different, mm-hmm. how that difference is relevant to the person that I'm talking to. Yeah. And then, so those two questions are built around brand strength. Sure. Then the second two questions are built around brand stature, mm-hmm. right? So the difference... Uh, so, sorry, so the difference in relevance is strength, and then the knowledge and esteem is stature. Mm-hmm. So, once you've established those strength questions, those are things you can answer in your heart. Yeah. You know, those are things you answer behind closed doors. Sure. And then the other two are how you take it to market. Okay. So, All right. So, have you used this tool in your work at Brotherhood? A ton. Okay. Just uh, a month and a half ago, we had uh, something called, we do this twice a year, it's called Agent School, and we just have between yeah. 50 and 60 of our independent agents come to the home office. We teach them all kinds of stuff from, you know, product to sales to all mm-hmm. that kind of, and I did the marketing session and I, I taught the brand asset yeah. evaluator. Yeah. That's all I did. Have you guys thought through these four questions? If yeah. you haven't, take it back to your team. Make sure you have confident answers to these. Well, it sounds like a good compromise between making it simple, but also sort of exposing the complexity of what branding no is. No doubt. You know, and that's really hard to do to, to strike that balance. So that's a great tool. And again, give me the name one more time. It's the brand asset valuator. Okay, great. If All people right. Google that phrase, uh, it, it's I, the agency that made it is irrelevant, but that's the way to get yeah. to it. All right, great. Well, Adam, thanks for that. And thanks for spending time with us. Really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Thank you, Anthony. And thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then. 